It's 9.07 at WCTF Radio, AM 680 and FM 98.5. You can set one button on the AM dial on the AM level in your car for AM and one for FM. Tom Kearney here, the Tom Kearney Show, Monday through Friday nights from 9 to 10, a little bit of live and in real-time radio, and we try to bring you as often as we can things that have to do with the Tar Heel State or North Carolina that are home homegrown, so to speak, and that that is in fact where we are tonight. Uh, about two and a half, three weeks, three weeks, three years ago, the mail came one day, and I got a book, and it uh, was a book uh, that I recognized the title of and the author. It was a book entitled "Finding and Keeping Vaughn, Comma North Carolina." our hometown, and it was by Dr. James W. Clark, Jr. And Dr. Clark is, is a friend of mine. In fact, long ago, uh, we we ended up teaching some together. In the same room now, listen to me, I've had his English course at least twice. Uh, still haven't got my grades, so I don't really know how I did. But uh, I started reading this book. It has a really, really nice picture on the front of it. Uh, I think the gentleman's name is Pierce, but Dr. Clark will, will tell us and he's sitting on a road sign that says Vaughn. And this is just an absolutely wonderful book. Remember the title now, Finding and Keeping Vaughn, North Carolina, Our Hometown. I would not have any idea how to classify it, but maybe you will after you listen to Dr. Clark talk about it tonight. Dr. Clark is a longtime educator, professor emeritus at NC State University. And the interesting thing is he retired uh, from teaching uh, at NC State, I think as he he may slap me on the knuckles for this as soon as he could when he, when he got his time in. But he went right back to teaching, and he's continued to teach ALA courses and courses to people about writing their life stories and so on. Uh, and so uh, he's kind of like Chaucer's scholar, uh, I think. Gladly would he learn, I think it says, and gladly would he teach. Dr. Clark, are you there? I'm right here, Tom. Good evening. Have I, have I made any mistakes in my narrative as it has emerged so far? You've done real well. I'm proud. Well, I'm not going to read all the distinguished awards you've got, but and I'm not. I don't want to embarrass you either. But you, you, the most recent one, which I, I watched virtually when you got it, was as a lot of other people did the John W. Caldwell, the John Caldwell. I think guess it's W. John Caldwell Award for the North Carolina Humanities Association, and uh, and that's. Uh, an outstanding award, and I know you admired Dr. Caldwell, at least I think you did, so it's especially good to have one's name on it. Now, you are a native of Vaughan, North Carolina, and you are, you've are you gone about reclaiming your your hometown, and that's what you are have written this book about. And I will say, and I'm fairly versed in, in, in research, I spent a lot of time going to graduate school trying to get a history degree, and you had to do, I believe, just about every kind of research that I can imagine. Uh, and what I'm talking about is legal stuff, uh, uh, plat books, you know, who owned what land and where and so on. And there's no template for this book either. I mean, I, I just like the way you you uh, you can describe who lived on a certain piece of land and, and, and who lived next in the, in the blocks and in, in the town and, and so on. Uh, all, but but the, the fact that you talk a lot about Vaughn and the land around it is special in this case because you talk about the land because it is where the people live. And that's right. what I want you to well, I believe I got that right. I believe I think that's exactly right. But it 
it, it was possible for you to do this, I think, only because you grew up there. Yes. And the first part of your book is, is your growing up and some of how you were set by uh, being a part of a community with your family and working in the in, actually working in the store there. A lot of times places like Vaughn, which if they're smaller, describe usually as a high spot in the road. And it was more than that because of the railroad <laughs> had come. But anyway, I want you to start somewhere and talk about how you started getting your education. And gradually we'll, we'll find out about um, why it was called Brown's Turnout and uh, who this Mr. Vaughn was and some of the other people that lived in, in Vaughn, North Carolina. You mentioned how to classify this book. Let me say that it came to me as I was working because of the various kinds of research and the various threads of the story I wanted to tell, that it's a miscellany. As we say, it's miscellaneous. But there's a technical term, a miscellany, and it applies to a kind of book that uh, has a variety of uh, information put together in some sequence that, that may or may not make sense. And I, I followed a, a roughly chronological sequence, but... Uh, I'm, I'm pleased to have done this with the help of local people, including members of my family and members of the families among whom I grew up. And for that reason, when the book was finished, I gave it away. No copy of this book has ever been sold. They were all given away to reflect the fact that we are a community that combined our efforts in producing this book in the same way that we had combined our energy and imagination in living in this community as a group of black and white people, essentially. And uh, I was very pleased to have uh, produced survey forms, which I distributed through church and elsewhere, and to have created blank maps with a few of the major contours on the map, reproduce that template, and then spread those things through the community and ask people to write down what they remembered was located here, there, and yonder, and who lived here, and who lived there. And the survey plus the decorated maps that were returned to me uh, helped me immensely, as did census and old photographs and church records and the like. I don't know what you'll think of this comparison, and we'll do this, and then if, to go along with the requirements of commercial radio, we'll take a break, and then when we come back, we, we'll give you a, a running start. But the one observation that I thought of somewhere along the way, and I made a note of it, was uh, a comparison of your book with James Joyce's Ulysses. Yes. And I, I thought of that because I've been trying to read that book for years, and every year about this time, uh, Bloomsday is, I think, June 16th. I, I read a little bit, a chapter or two. That's yes. the anniversary of the book. Uh, for those who do not know, I'm sure you knew that. But uh, Joyce is supposed to have worked on a lot of the detail of the city of Dublin, even though he was not living in the city at the time he wrote the book. Mm -hmm. And he was... Has, was said to have observed that he would like to construct it so that if Dublin was blown away, that in a hundred years they could rebuild the city from his narrative. Right. Now, I don't know if that's possible to do that, but we could rebuild Vaughn from your narrative, I'm pretty sure, and not just Vaughn, but 
uh, that part of, let's see, is Vaughn, and is it, is it in Warren County, is that right? It's in Warren County, and with that kind of uh, basis, anyone could conduct and write a history of the local community in which he or she grew up. And they could say, do you remember when the when the Browns, with an E or without an E, lived over here? And yes. uh, Ridley, is it Ridley Brown and so on? Right. Now, one time I went to where you lived up there with you a long time ago. I don't mean to be too personal, but you took me, I think, maybe Mrs. Kearney was with us, yeah. to a house where a doctor lived. That's right. That's is, that, is that one of the houses in this book? That's one of the houses in the book. Okay, I, re I remember that very well because I think he had so many children and he split, split them up, I guess by gender perhaps, and on the top floor, somewhere on one end of the building and some on the other. He was an itinerant, I'm showing off now, Virginia uh, architect who crossed over the line occasionally into North Carolina, yeah. if, I right. if I remember correctly. Yeah. I'm going to give Dr. James W. Clark, Professor Emeritus of English at NC State University, and author of a book entitled Finding and Keeping Vaughn in North Carolina, Our Hometown. Uh, a little time to rest here, and then I'm going to give him the ball and let him run with it right after we take this break, break on the Tom Kearney Show on WPTF Radio. Tom Kearney on the Tom Kearney Show here on WPTF, where it's 922. Dr. James Clark, Professor of English Emeritus at NC State, uh, is our guest tonight, and he's going to talk about uh, finding and keeping Vaughn, North Carolina, our hometown. Uh, Jim, it might be good for just to give some brief directions uh, so people in our listening audience will know where Vaughn is, because it, it, actually you only have to make about two turns from Raleigh uh, to get there, I think. Uh, but And then uh, go and go back and talk about where you heard heard those things, the country store and other places you're your news yeah. observer route and you can segue right on into the to the understanding of Brown's turnout and so on, if you will. So I'm out of your way. Vaughn is on Highway one fifty eight. Many people in this area would know it because it's one of the gateways to Eaton's Ferry and Lake Gaston today. It's about ten miles south of the North Carolina Virginia border in the eastern part of Warren County, and US-158 uh, is uh, the major highway that was put there in 1925-26 to replace a road that had paralleled the Raleigh and Gaston Railroad from the 1830s until after the First World War. And uh, that road that paralleled the Raleigh and Gaston Railroad was the road from Hillsborough to Halifax, and so it was an important uh, thoroughfare in colonial and revolutionary and, and early uh, federal times. Uh, my father owned and operated <coughs> owned and operated a grocery store service station on 158 in Vaughan, and I grew up working in that store. And among the people who traded at the store were members of the Brown family, spelled with the terminal E, and also many black 
descendants of brown slaves, and those people spell their name with no terminal E. And that was a demarcation that had something to do with land ownership and slave ownership that respected in those terms the color line between black people and white people. Uh, the town, the county, the area is predominantly African-American today as it was when I grew up there. And because the Raleigh and Gaston Railroad had made its way from up on the Roanoke River near what we think of as Roanoke Rapids today towards Henderson in the years 1938-39, the Brown family owning all of the land along that part of the railroad, especially to the south, was beginning to make lots and lots of money growing tobacco. And so by the early 1850s, they had a siding built at the railroad where the land flattened out enough for commerce to be conducted. And that brown siding finally took the name of Brown's Turnout, which was a way to say that the train could stop there and load or offload cargo. And the Browns were, in addition to slave owners and important plantation builders, Usually, the first son in a family with that name, whether in Tidewater, Virginia, where they were originally settled, or in eastern North Carolina, or there in Vaughan, they would be doctors. And what I learned in working over this history and record for many years is that there's a useful distinction that we don't always make between a country doctor and a town doctor. And the brown doctors were country doctors. That is, they built huge plantation houses in the 1850s before the Civil War. They had hundreds of slaves, some of whom they worked on their various farms, and others they rented out to people who couldn't own slaves but needed one or two or three or four to get through the year. And the doctor's function was not to keep the community in good health, as you deduce. The doctor's function was to keep the labor force healthy enough to labor, setting bones, stitching up wounds, and carrying out maternity functions. But the work of Dr. Ridley Brown, the one about whom I wrote primarily, was to keep the labor force healthy. He was not a community healthy uh, position. After the Civil War, and he had no slaves to maintain, he became a very important country doctor. But that was only after 1865. And the Brown-named slaves became citizens, and most of the uh, African-Americans I knew in growing up were either Browns or one or two generations away from being a family with that surname. And they had communities that lived separately.
certainly from the people living in the white communities. The man for whom the town became named in 1881 was John Vaughn, and he had not intended for the town or the post office to be called Vaughn, but when he sent his application to Washington, D.C., the name that he had uh, wanted was crossed through because it was already taken, and the clerk in D.C. put the name of Vaughn on the form, and that's how the town in 1881 became the town of Vaughn, and it has retained that name through ups and downs between 1881 and this afternoon or this evening. Jim, can I stop you for a moment, or yeah. actually a couple of moments, because we need to pause at this point to check the news and find out what's going on in the world, but we can come back and find out more about the Vaughn family right after we check the news here on WPTF. Monday night with Dr. James Clark, professor of English Emeritus at NC State University, with a very special book, one that I think we ended up saying that it was a miscellany. And the title of it is Finding and Keeping Vaughn, North Carolina, Our Hometown. And don't call up Amazon because they don't have copies. I found out, as you did tonight, that this book is so special that he gave it away. And thank you, Dr. Clark, for putting me on your list. I have one question to ask before you go on talking about the blacks and whites in the community of Vaughn. I'm a fan of a program that you probably have seen, Henry Louis Gates' program, Finding Your Roots. Yes. And when he talks about, you know, getting into the paperwork and doing the census and everything, uh, most often in, in the South, the people that owned slaves would describe the slave, male, dark, uh, downcast look, but they would not tell the slave's name. The slave did not have a name. And I noticed that in one of the breakdowns of some property, and we're talking about slaves here, right. of uh, of somebody in the Vaughn family, they gave the names of the slaves and their going rate, which I've never seen that anywhere before. That's the reason I published that whole thing, which some people would probably find tedious, but if you're black and are searching for your ancestors from that region, this is helpful, and they they call them Mary, John, Jack, and they would say what the annual rental rate was, and also, they would say what skill the person had that made his value high or low. And the age of the person was also a factor in the, in the rate at which the person could be rented as if it were a plow or something else. It's, it's well, very... it's kind of eerie to me. I, and I've spent a lot of time, as you know, reading in this, this mess. Right. And, uh, I don't use mess in the negative connotation, but I, I don't think I'd ever seen that anywhere before. Well, right. I'll, back to... Uh, the the uh, the Vaughn family and the the wealth that was there and the people that did, didn't have, didn't turn out to be too healthy in the long run. Right. I think it would be helpful if I took a, an example from the Brown family and from the Vaughn family to say how they fared in the decades when one or the other was in charge of the culture and economy of of that region in Warren County. The example from the Brown family would be that one of Dr. Ridley Brown's sisters married in the early 1860s after her mother, her father had died, after her mother had 
improve the plantation mansion, the daughter married a Dr. Eaton, also from Warren County, and they went to Havana on their honeymoon. The tobacco prices were such on his farm in Western Warren County on, and on Oakley Grove there in the, in the uh, Brown Turnout region that they went and spent a month to six weeks traveling by railroad from the siding just on the plantation through New Orleans to Havana and back. So this lady had made her wedding journey in a way that people living in Vaughan today could hardly imagine ever having happened. If, we if switch, I remember correctly, the only thing they liked about Cuba was she liked the fashions that he bought for her. That's right. And when they came home, they eventually um, had two children, and uh, this woman was fated to die in the birth of the second child, and the second child uh, was raised by the doctor who was the father of the first child and the second child. In the case of the Brown, of the Vaughn family, that family, which had a doctor in it, died of tuberculosis, and he and his three brothers all died within a two-year period of tuberculosis, just before the First World War. The father of these four grown men who all succumbed to tuberculosis was named Charlie Vaughn, and he was the brother of John Vaughn, the man who had been the first station manager, the section foreman, and the post office uh, postman. He had died of typhoid in about 1890, leaving his brother Charles, who had these four sons, and another brother named Walter. So the Vaughn family was fated to suffer horribly from tuberculosis. And eventually the, the father, Mr. Charlie Vaughn, died in Durham of prostration and grief, but he had also lost all of his property, and his brother Walter had become the guardian of this man who at one time had been the chief merchant in the region. It did not mean that to have property and power in the Roanoke Valley, whether you lived by the railroad or lived by merchant values, it did not mean that you were going to be a success or even uh, stay on the right side of the law. Dr. Ridley Brown was rigorously legal. Mr. Charlie Vaughn became so desperate that he would have collateralized the same piece of property two or three times in the same year, and it was allowed. And then he went completely bankrupt and, some would say, became an alcoholic. Whatever his misfortune, it was severe. And uh, the last of his brothers, named Walter, became a member of the North Carolina General Assembly. He was a railroad man. And when his term in the General Assembly was over, he left the village of Vaughn and moved his family to Henderson, 
where he lived until the late 1950s when he died. So something these, that something that I, I learned, I, I guess I knew this, but I'm reminded of it that you you teach in this is that uh, there were a lot of children being born to people of all different social classes and a lot of people dying. And if you were a male and your wife died, you better find yourself another wife or a brother that would, or a grandparent that would take care of those children. And if you were a woman, you better find yourself a new husband. And John Vaughn, who was credited with founding Vaughn, as it were, uh, died of typhoid. But before he died of typhoid in 1890, his wife Sally had already died in childbirth. And the three children she had left alive were raised by her father and mother way back up on the Roanoke River where the Raleigh and Gaston Railroad had begun. It was a hard scrabble life even for the people who were the merchants and the section foremans and, and occasionally even the doctors. I think the the other part of the story that's more edifying is that Schools flourished for blacks and whites in that community and were sustained, whether the black school as a Rosenwald school from the 1920s or the Warren County school system building uh, an elementary school in Vaughan itself. And they had ample teachers, they had good students, and when the logging industry that became powerful there about 1908, 9, and 10, and remained until all the forest had been cut down by 1916 and 17, those people moved into town and brought with them from Scandinavia, Wisconsin, and all over the eastern seaboard ideas about education. It adulterated the gene pool. It was a fabulously a worthwhile expansion of the economy, and uh, I think that made a great difference in the, the dregs of the town in which I grew up, because after the boom time of the World War One era, uh, the town began to go down, and that's the reason Mr. Walter Vaughn, after he left the General Assembly, moved from Vaughn into Henderson where he could have a better grasp of the railroad business than he could have any longer there in a town that was essentially dying. You, you, you don't think about it. I, at least I didn't think about it. But there were there was an input of people from uh, the north and from other parts of the United States. It was kind of like there was an infant tourism industry promoting uh, uh, Vaughn and that part of, of Warren County, you know, the, Lots of vegetables grow and things like that. Germans, Scandinavians were brought there on purpose because after the end of slavery, the farming uh, manpower, brain power, needed to be replenished because with the slaves doing the work and running the farm quite often, the black descendants of the browns had opportunity, but the white descendants of the browns didn't have any experience in managing money, land, or anything. And outsiders were needed to take over. And it, it happened through any number of ways, including purchase of old brown land at the courthouse for back taxes. 
let's stop and take a break now and, and come back and uh, let you in our closing portion. That Jim, uh, the time just flies when we're when we're having fun, and uh, I hope we've done justice to to your book. But we've still got a quarter of the program, and maybe you can. But all of just a lot of what you know about this that that fills out the story and and gives it uh, some depth is is from listening to stories about it. Uh, sure. Over time, and you've got some some stories toward the end that are that are worth. I think. Uh, well, you put them in there, and they were worth listening to. Yeah. Also, Dr. James Clark is talking about a book that he has written, uh, Finding and Keeping Bond, North Carolina, our hometown. And a lot of hometowns in North Carolina and in other places would be lucky to have uh, a scribe uh, produce a book like this that, uh, that, that uh, as I said earlier, like uh, James Joyce's Ulysses would allow you to rebuild the town uh, 50 or 100 years later. We'll be back. There's never enough time. The book that we're talking about is Finding and Keeping Bond in North Carolina, uh, Our Hometown by Dr. James W. Clark, who grew up there, uh, who's, uh, well, I, I, I won't get in the way. His father uh, operated a, a store there. And Jim, wasn't your mother a county, uh, uh, what am I trying to say, home demonstration worker? She worked for the Extension Service as a nutritionist. Nutritionist, okay. Is Valley Nelson your grandmother? Yes. Okay. All right. I just, she's the woman who, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, we're, we're doing inside stuff now, which is unfair, but she's the lady who went to Meredith, I believe, didn't she? And yes. She went combed her hair with Meredith uh, when it was downtown. And combed her hair with, with uh, uh, cornmeal. Yes. She was the roommate of Bernice Kelly Harris. Right, to get the grease out. I mean, that's what girls did then and everything. Right. And, and so on. But anyway, I'm, I just want to make sure that I had it all right. Is there one or two people, I, I've told you I like the person you described, as, whose name was Dan Barnes, and Uncle Enoch was protective of you, and your dog was protective of you in one day back there. But uh, there, there are people I know you admired and respected and who brought these stories down. And so is there any anything you want to walk around in right now for about five or six minutes. The man whose picture is on the front of the book is a member of a family that moved into the area from Pennsylvania, another example of how the old slave culture was diminished. The Vaughn family had moved away and out of Pennsylvania and Scandinavia and places abroad came into that area people who replenished the gene pool and the economy and the imagination. And it allowed me in the back of the book with Mr. Pierce on the front as if he's riding the the the, uh, the train or he's driving the, the economy. And he was, in that sense, a lumberman and a farmer, a successor to the kind of person who had been the plantation lord. Mr. Pierce, of course, had no slaves, but half the people in the area worked for him, black and white. And he had married into a, a family by the name of Harris, in which the daughters all inherited lots of land from their father, who had come to own most of the original Brown, B-R-O-W-N-E, land as it was sold off over the years. So in the back of the book, 
are nieces and nephews of Mr. Pierce, including relatives of mine and black citizens of the town as well. And I went to these people because they had shown an interest in what I was doing and said, write your story, and I'll publish it in the book with the stories that I've collected. And so back there are the voices of other people that I've known all of my life. Three of them have now passed away since the book was published, but they all saw the book come into print. And that's the reason on the cover we call it our hometown rather than my hometown. It's ours. And the sense of community that would lead to that kind of publication and project even if the community is far diminished from its heyday around World War I, is still a credit to the human imagination. And that's what I was trying to cultivate and support and model. I would like to think that all over North Carolina, there are little places that have a story to tell, and they have a scribe who loves that place and can garner from other people like him or her the essence of a story like the one in which we say we found Vaughn and are now going to keep it. We know its history. There's a section here that deals with three violent murders that took place in Vaughn. Just up against the story in which I praised a member of Mr. Pierce's family, his uncle, Mr. Barnes, who, like Mr. Pierce's mother, had come out of Pennsylvania, and they came into that area and made a difference through their work, their leadership, their honesty, their character, and their progeny. It's a, it's a very human story that uh, everybody, everywhere, can identify with if you just get the project off the ground and, and go with And that, of course, Jim, we need to stop now because we're out of time, but of course it's what you've been doing with the various projects that you've worked on with people writing their own histories. Exactly. And, uh, retirement homes and places like that. Dr. James Carter, thank you, Jim, so much for being with us tonight. I want to call you after we're off the air here, but we've slammed right out of time. But thank you for telling but our audience about your book. Thank you so much.